becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you get to make real. Well, yeah, I, I hit record, but we can start it over if we need to. Yeah, we'll I don't just, know. We'll just keep going. Okay. Hey, well, yeah, we're here. We're on the shores. Cheers we're on the shores to the shores. We're always on the shores, <laughs> as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very yeah, true. But this is a night that we commit to being on the shores. That's right. So we can go places and be ignorant and figure out stuff. <laughs> Love it. On purpose. <laughs> On purpose. <clears throat> the purposeful shores. Exactly. Here we are. Um, where do you want to kick it off? So many things going on in the world right now. So many things going on inside of our heads. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like you've got some stuff to say about fiat and yeah. currency and inflation uh-huh. that could be interesting to start with. Yeah. Let's kind of see where that goes. Uh, it's not really well thought out. It's just more concerns and thoughts and ideas. And, yeah. uh, anyways, Matt showed me the chart, this, uh, chart, <laughs> <laughs> this chart, uh, earlier this week. And it was kind of aligned with some of the things I've been thinking about, but it put it into perspective of our national debt and our, uh, was a deficit spending and like revenue, revenue. Coming, in, yeah. coming in right. and it demonstrates like kind of how fucked we are <laughs> in a sense. It's pretty wild. Uh-huh. Yeah. You just see the debt go hyperbolic mm-hmm. over the last like what? 20 years. Yeah. So it's going exponential. Like if the chart was inverted and it was a cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. you'd be like, ah, I should have bought in 20 years ago. It would have been like, you know, a hundred X, but it's not, it's our debt. Yeah. Which is kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Cause what are you going to do about that? Yeah. Cause there was only one time we had a surplus was that was during Clinton's administration. Mm-hmm. And that was the dot com boom era too. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it's just something I don't think we really grasp. We kind of feel like we feel like our economic system is sort of like a, a make believe land, right? Which it kind of is in a sense, but it's also not yeah, because we're all looking for places to store our value that's secure and will uh, transmit across time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if people become less confident in say the U S dollar or treasuries and that kind of stuff, well, money's just going to move other places that are more durable and can transmute, transmit, you know, through time in, in a better form. Um, you know, Bitcoin kind of makes that argument that it's, it's a, it's ability to transmit, uh, energy through time, uh, a lot better than, you know, fiat, but, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's just, it's just, I mean, on my end as a coffee shop owner, it's like, you know, I'm looking at my green costs going up, you know, pretty much across the board. Everything. Green costs. Oh, green coffee. Yeah. Oh, so like unroasted coffee, unroasted coffee. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> pre-roasted pre-roasted so and you know it's like also you know just the the labor demand and you know you know cost of living i mean there's just a lot of things that so many variables that putting pressure especially small businesses i don't think are have a harder time with this because we don't have like teams mm-hmm. <laughs> designated <laughs> to like look at this you know um but it definitely has me concerned um, as far as like what that's going to look like in the next two to three years or five years. Right. <clears throat> so what's your, what's your biggest concern? Is it the national debt? Is it inflation? Is it somehow I think like food shortages mm. play into this mm-hmm. as it pertains to inflation and scarcity of goods? Yeah. I think part of it is like we don't, we haven't really had to live through something. 2008 was a recession in some regards, but it really wasn't, it wasn't earth shattering. I mean, mm-hmm. it was for some, I mean, not right. I don't want to belittle that, but, um, but across the board, most people were pretty okay. Yeah. They suffered mm-hmm. for sure, but it wasn't like, uh, Weimar Germany. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. You know, it was like 2000% their, their, yeah. their money was right. devalued. Yeah. So I don't think we, we definitely don't, we definitely don't know what is possibly coming, you know, whether it will actually come or not. That's a whole, that's a debate mm-hmm. in and of itself, but yeah. it does look like there's a lot of signs that point to sort of the inflation and supply chain and, I mean, whenever you have a outside of China, like, you know, 300 plus chips, ships that are not being able to dock and unload their supplies, you know, and we see that in our own ports. And, mm-hmm. um, as far as like how many jobs are available and there's people not there to fill them, you know, and, and then the f- jobs that are there, people are wanting more money for to work. Therefore you have to, you know, so it's like you have the, the, the labor side as well as the, um, you know, cost of goods side, all those things are, are adding pressure. So then as the owners, you know, or business people or CEOs or whatever, you have to raise the prices. Well, that just seems to inflate or infuriate the whole system. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it's like you're, you're not really, <clears throat> it's, a po- it's a positive feedback loop. Exactly. Yeah. At some point, something's got to give, you mm-hmm. know, which is either customers not buying your product or, you know, you not be able to hire people or, not being able to afford or even get the supplies you need to produce the products you, right. you need to, you know, which, you know, I see that on paper goods, you know, it's like we couldn't get 16 ounce cups for a little while. Hmm. We went through like three or four different suppliers and basically ran them all out. Yeah. You know? Uh, so it's just, it's super fascinating. Uh, but also at the same time, you see that this is the time, you know, where there's the most opportunity is whenever there is the scarcity and the, hmm. Um, in the, in the hard times, because, you know, it's hard to stick it out. It's hard to make good decisions and there's luck involved too, you know, as far as like how you maneuver during these times, you know, Hmm. but it's definitely a sort of a pressure cooker and also pressure at all on all sides that, (laughs) that kind of push and pull on you. Yeah. I have this sense, like when we think about these things and I want to ask questions like, you know, given the possible scenarios that are coming, whether that's inflation or food shortages or um, currency debasement, all of these things. Like, I want to ask questions about, like, well, how do we, one, how do we prepare for that in order to weather that storm? Mm-hmm. And two, are there opportunities to utilize those moves in order to make ourselves... Um, even more sustainable. Hmm. I like I had to choose my words really carefully there. I don't even like what I said more sustainable. Cause I think that there is an element of the, um, well, the great reset mm-hmm. build back better agenda, yeah. which I'm kind of grouping as one thing, which is saying, let's take this opportunity to become more sustainable, mm-hmm. which I don't think that I mean what they mean when they say that. Yeah. Um, but the other side of that thought is I think most people don't want to have to bother thinking about these things. Mm-hmm. They want to work their job and go home to their houses and be with their families and friends and take their vacation, take their vacations. And I think people deserve and should be able to have that mm-hmm. and not have to worry about inflation and the way that it's going to affect them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, how is it that a society functions such that people can do that and not have to worry about those things? And maybe the, the side question to that is, has America ever been in that place? Sure. We weren't, we weren't really worrying about inflation. We weren't worrying about shortages. Well, it's interesting. I mean, even like you come back to that book, the fourth turning, it's like, there's, there's certain times where there's like this, you know, abundance and, um, and everything's really great. And then there's times where there's kind of things are more lean and you kind of have to tighten the belt, you know, and mm-hmm. you can also see this like in bull and bear markets, you know, bull markets, everybody's in, it's almost oh so much fun. Look at this. We're right. You know, right, like in the right. bear market comes and everyone's like, Oh my gosh, you know? But there's some, there's kind of something self-corrective about it, you know, um, that we, I don't think we can necessarily get away from because we tend to forget that whenever we're in a bull market, it's like, we need to 
pull back and be more conservative, which good investors, that's what they do at a bull market. They start taking profit and, and setting things aside and waiting for the next bear market. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. but most of the time we're like grasshoppers, you know, and not the ant, you know, <laughs> in the summertime, we're going to play our fiddle and, and enjoy the sun and swim. And, and in the wintertime, we're like, Oh my gosh, what happened? I mean, which I fall into that. I mean, as a business owner, it's like, you know, you know, you're like, Oh, this is everything's so good. And then you're like, Oh, everything's so bad. You're like next time we do it different. <laughs> and then I'm the grasshopper again, you know? Um, obviously I've gotten a little bit better over the years, but, but still there's, there's something about wisdom, you know, that, that comes in that you can only learn through going through a few of those seasons, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm hoping that having gone through two <clears throat> or three of those, you know, I'm 44, maybe I've learned something. Hmm. I don't know. I think, I think maybe not until I'm 50, I'll actually have some wisdom in this area. Right. <laughs> Cause I'm still, I'm still, I think Phil still feel pretty young as far as like how to move forward. Hmm. Sorry, guys, I have allergies and <laughs> we are broadcasting from Austin, Texas. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. <clears throat> I mean, I wonder if in a large part, like, or in a more general sense, as a society, we've gotten to a point where we've forgotten the natural cycle of things. Mm -hmm. Like things tend to follow the path of a pendulum. They swing right, they swing left, you know, things get good, things get bad. And wisdom would dictate that when things are good, as you said, you're you're, you're maybe counterintuitively on its surface. You're more conservative Yeah. when things are bad. You're conservative in different ways, but if you have the ability, if you, if you played the good times properly enough in the bad times, you can actually invest in a way that becomes more meaningful in the next set of good times. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think that's true, not only in finances, but probably in, in some sort of more general sense. And when I look around at the world, I keep, <clears throat> I mean, I think it's like the last three years, I keep finding myself having this reaction of, of feeling stunned, mm. like stunned by the way people are responding to things in a, yeah. in a very general way. Yeah. So whether that's COVID itself or the most recent Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. um, movement in response to George Floyd, um, and Breonna Taylor and all of that, or whether it's, um, you know, this very recent, uh, Supreme court opinion leak about Roe versus Wade, the, the commonality that I see there is I, I think, just think it's stunning how fervent the responses are to these things mm-hmm. on, on many sides of the issues. And it, and it seems like it's like we've forgotten that you should have some amount of like, well, wait and see some amount of let's wait for all the information or for more information. And maybe we shouldn't be so quick to make assumptions or make decisions Mm -hmm. or or claim that this is the end of democracy or the, um, the end of life as we know it, or the rise of the neo-Nazis or whatever. And it's like, we're taking everything to these very extreme places. Yeah. And I think, well, that's the opposite of the conservative way to handle this, not conservative as in right leaning, but conservative as in like, things are pretty good, you know, in the grand arc of humanity. Mm -hmm. And we seem to be responding to things as if it's the worst thing that's ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. I think kind of what you're hitting on is perspective as far as like, you know, understanding history and kind of where we stand in that history. And it doesn't mean that all that everything is perfect or as good as it could be, but it's definitely better than what it was. And I think that's, that's something you can only gain by understanding history and mm-hmm. what it was like a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, a thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the same sense, you can also understand like why there were certain norms and cultural aspects that sort of helped 
everyone act together in things because you needed some sort of cohesiveness. And that's something that we, how we kind of like have a society that sort of moves forward through time. Cause there's something cohesive that, that binds us together, you know, whether it be a King or a Pharaoh or a, uh, a document, the Magna Carta, the constitution, like there's something that's our religion, you know, uh, Allah or Yahweh or, uh, hmm. Jesus, or there's something that's binding people together. And when, whenever you don't have something that's binding people together, you kind of have a, a chaos that sort of ensues, but it ensues in a way that people then have to then bind around something. And sometimes that's war, you know, there has to be a, a common enemy or something like that mm-hmm. that brings people together. But I don't know. Is that kind of what you were, you were talking about too? Or? Yeah, a bit. I mean, it, I think it's all <clears throat> very closely related. Yeah. And I wonder, part of me wonders like what can be done because I don't think that it's appropriate for us to continually be comparing ourselves to the past. Like it's not the right measuring stick in some sense. It's more appropriate to compare yourself or compare things or at least as appropriate to compare the way things are to the way things could be, Mm. you know, because if you say, well, Hey, like, look, you know, compared to 135 years ago, things are so much better that it's not even worth making the comparison. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a short period of time. So you could make the claim that like no one should be complaining about anything because things are so good, like unimaginably good to a person who was alive in 1895. Yeah. Um, So, but that's not productive. Like it's more productive to say, well, how could things get better? Because they obviously can Mm. and they obviously should. And that will be true for all of time. I think it's like the whole idea of perspective in general is that idea of understanding where you've come from and projecting into the future what you could be or what it could, what, what we as a society could be, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, cause there's some unreasonable, like there's the utopian aspects, you know, it's like utopian is not possible. Like that's something that we've learned through the past. You know, it's like, a perfect society that, you know, everybody gets along. It's sort of like a commune sort of idea of, Mm -hmm. of everyone does their work and, you know, it's it's kind of a communist idea too. It's like, uh, shoot, I forgot the the trope, but, uh, to each according as need to each according as ability. Is Mm -hmm. that how it's said? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, that's really nice, but that means that you're expecting other people to act up to, what they are capable of, you Mm -hmm. know, and people to communicate and for other people to understand what other people's needs actually are. And that's a, that's a pretty tall order to (laughs) require of people and from people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because you can't, yeah. Like how do you determine what someone's needs are? Yeah. And how do you determine what somebody's ability is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't determine those things by fiat Mm -hmm. or by, dictate yeah it has to be somehow more acted out in the world and also voluntary involuntary because the truth be told is like we don't know what we're capable of right you have to act that out in the world and the world (laughs) tells you what you're capable of and and (laughs) that's a great point and it has to be voluntary Mm -hmm. you have to you have to in order to understand what you're capable of the first thing you have to do is wake up in the morning and say I'd like to test myself to see what I'm capable of. You, you know, you can't have someone force you into an, uh, into a situation in order to see what you're capable of. You won't, you won't be as capable as you would be if you did that voluntarily. Which is also interesting because as a society and as cultures, we do put some frameworks around that. Like if you don't pay your rent, you're not going to have a place to live Hmm. for the most part. I mean, I think places that have tried that, that said, Oh, we'll just give you a place to live and food. 
it tends not to work out because we're people. We need actually, we need challenges and we need to find that are for ourselves. Well, and we need ownership ownership and ownership requires responsibility mm-hmm. because if you don't, if you don't have responsibility for it, then you don't own it. Mm-hmm. And when you don't own it, you don't value it. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't work because it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, unless you're in a position of, well, it matters because I'm thankful. You could be thankful for the free house, let's say. Mm-hmm. But who are you thankful to? And usually thankfulness also, it's demonstrated by how you act. So if you're thankful, then you go out into the world and you do something that demonstrates your thankfulness. It's not just more like, hey, thanks for the hundred bucks. See you, man. Yeah. You know, it's like. Man, I mean, if someone does something for you and you're truly thankful, it's like you either want to go and do that for somebody else or make some other impact. Like, wow, this person, like my parents, have given me the freedom and the ability to walk out into this world in a certain way. Well, now I have a certain responsibility and accountability for what they've given me. You know, so anytime you're given something, it actually requires or and installs a certain responsibility on the person because we, we all know that if you do something for somebody and they don't do anything with it, they're less likely to get that the next time. Hmm. You know, it's like, Hey man, can I borrow a hundred bucks? Oh, thanks man. Hey, can I borrow a hundred bucks? It's like, at some point you're going to be like, I, I can't give you another hundred bucks, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Or if you keep doing it, there's a certain resentment that you have towards that person. You know, right. it's like, so it's like, even though we'd like to think that, you know, giving things away or, or creating a place where there is no pressure on people, it's actually kind of counterproductive in a way. We kind of almost need that sort of like pressure on us because we're kind of maybe lazy in that sense, you know, like, mm-hmm. Like, I feel like the times I've learned the most is when I've had the most pressure on me. Well, I think it's more like we are fallible and imperfect. Mm -hmm. You know, how thankful should you be for something? Hmm. You know, it depends on what it is and how and why it was given to you and you know, if, if you are given the ultimate good, then you should be ultimately thankful. And to your point, that's not just a word or a sentence. It's a, it's a way of being, Yeah, you act out your thanks, thankfulness in the world. And we're, and we all do that imperfectly. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of the response to that is, well, we can all be imperfectly thankful and subordinate to, a you know, to a hierarchy of benefactors you know, maybe sort of the lowest level being family. And, and, and then, you know, you could look at community and state and federal governments and even some sort of world, you know, world health organization or world economic forum or world uh, government, governmental body as some sort of benefactor of information, truth, prosperity, Or you could extract it, abstract it up to the level of God and say, well, we should all be thankful for that which is given to us, Hmm. which is true. We should, but we will all be imperfectly thankful. Hmm. So the response to that is, well, take responsibility because then your failure to be properly thankful is your failure. Hmm. You own that rather than if I give you something and you're not thankful, it's like, I, I partly own that because that means that I'm not going to continue to give you things. Hmm. And so you suffer, but I'll also I suffer and our relationship suffers. But if you, through voluntary mutually beneficial exchange, we, we trade for something. Mm -hmm. 
now what's understood in that mutual exchange, mutually beneficiary, mutually beneficiary exchange is that you own something now and that's your responsibility. And if you're not thankful for it, Mm -hmm. which is to say, if you don't behave in the world in a way, which is thankful toward that thing, that thing's value is going to diminish. So let's say you buy a car from me. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if I give you the car and you just let it become dilapidated and break down, you don't take care of, it, you don't change the oil, you know, you don't, uh, rotate the tires. I don't know. Do, people don't really rotate tires anymore. Do they really don't? Yeah. No. Um, you know, but, but you could buy a car f- from me mm-hmm. and let it go to hell. Mm. And I'm kind of, well, I'm free from that. You're, you're will you, sorry, let me rephrase that. If I give you a car and you let it go to hell, I'm thinking, well, you obviously weren't thankful for that car because mm-hmm. you didn't take responsibility for it. I'm not giving you another car. Yeah. Cause you just wasted that one. Um, whereas if you buy the car from me, the fact that you let it go to hell is really none of my problem or my business. Hmm. You know, oh, true. Yeah. like I could look at you and say, Hey, that's really a shame. Yeah that you weren't thankful for the car that you had, mm-hmm. but that's kind of your, yeah, there was it's on you exchange that happened. That was like, yeah. yeah. So I think part of, part of ownership is the incentive to responsibility. Hmm. And maybe it's also something akin to, um, the way that we behave with children when we're trying to teach them something. Okay. How's that? Well, so like you, you know, you've got two kids and one hits the other. Mm-hmm. And what do you do? You know, you go to the kid that hit the, the other kid and you say, that wasn't good. You shouldn't do that. And you owe your sister an apology. Mm-hmm. You know, and that kid says, sorry. <laughs> and you're like, hey, no, not good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, say it right. Say it like you mean it. And you say all these imperfect things. Yeah. You know, but so what you're trying to get from them is like authenticity. Mm-hmm. Like demonstrate to me that you really are sorry. I'm yeah. not asking you for words. I'm asking you for a mode of being hmm. toward another person. And they don't know what it means, you know? And so you try to, you try to explain it and articulate it. They're not going to get it. And so you finally just go, all right, good enough. Just let's take some time apart, separate or whatever. But you go through this little behavior in, uh, you know, enough times, basically what you're asking those children to do. And then, you know, the person says, I'm sorry, imperfectly. And then you look at the other kid and you say, you know, tell them you forgive them. Yeah. Like, forgive me. You know, it's like, (laughs) so you make them go through this little drama, this this acting out Uh of a ritual. And, And you do that enough times and suddenly it'll click for the kids mm-hmm. and be like, Oh, I said it and I actually meant it. Mm-hmm. And then the person who it was said to is like, Oh wow, that was different. That meant something to me. Actually, I actually forgive you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't understand apology and forgiveness mm-hmm. without sort of first acting it out, playing the part. True. And so to the extent that we're imperfectly thankful, um, Ownership allows us to act it out in a way that lets us see our own failures Hmm. in a way that's, they can just be ours. Yeah. And then we can say, Hey, I like, I didn't like losing that car or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'd like to be different. Yeah. Because in the, you know, back to the formulation, each according to his needs and each according to his ability. Mm-hmm. You're, it's like a shared fate scenario. It's like we're all going down together. And that's, well, if you, <laughs> I guess if you take history seriously, all going down together means hundreds of millions of people dying. Yeah. And we should all not want that. Maybe it's much better to say, why don't we take some ownership and some responsibility and act out, discover the ways that we want to be by acting them out in a way that affects 
ourselves more than the one than those around us in the times that we fail and accept that part of that is going to mean that some people are going to be much more responsible sort of aka much more thankful mm-hmm. and that's going to or cre- achieving their ability create and it's going to <clears throat> they're going to extract more of their ability from the potential of the future mm-hmm. and extract more prosperity from that yeah while others are going to allow everything to go to shit mm-hmm. and there's going to be inequality which is interesting because I can almost be very insensitive as far as like how you phrase that. It's like, <clears throat> well, shouldn't we take care of those who maybe don't have the experience of that? You know, so like, you know, you were talking earlier about uh, the ritual, you know, you know, we make our kids act out these rituals, but it's not the ritual that we're trying to teach them. It's what the ritual means. And like whenever someone, when you, get it like like hey i'm sorry you know what i forgive you and you experience that Mm -hmm. it's like when you forgive somebody that didn't ask for forgiveness what they did to you no longer has control over you it's like you've 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 come out from underneath them but if they ask for forgiveness and you forgive them there's actually a place where you come become closer you know and like you, you don't understand that until you've experienced it. And it might take a few times right. to act out the ritual before you experience it. And that's like why we have culture and hmm. rituals and institutions is that so that it encourages us to act these things out so that we can experience the benefit of them that's not in the law itself, but more the spirit of the law, which is the which is the um how it benefits you as the individual, you mm-hmm. know, to act that out. Like, do not murder. It's like, we don't just say do not murder because we don't want to, like, you know, uh, put a damper on your lifestyle. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's got, it's got actually got some really, like, like when you murder somebody, you know, and I'm not just talking about like killing somebody and like self protection. I'm talking about like murder someone. It does something to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not just simply the loss of the life that was taken. Yeah. It's also some loss in the one who takes the life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is something that, you know, if, if obviously I've never murdered anybody. <laughs> That's funny to say. I mean, is <laughs> it obvious? I know. Is it obvious? <laughs> but like, you know, even just, you know, people who've been in war, like the impact it that has had, yeah. had on them, you know, it's like, there's something about that and you can try to explain you know, explain it away or say like, well, it doesn't affect me, but almost to a T it affects everyone, you mm-hmm. know? So there's a lot of these things that are built into our culture that are rituals that are for our benefit. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, it's like, what is it? I think Peter talks about like at your peril, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like you tear down a fence, you know, it's like that was there. You're like, why was the fence there? What did it keep out? What did it keep in? Oh, Chesterton's, Chesterton's fence. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you shouldn't, if you come across a fence in a field that's in your way, you shouldn't tear it down unless you can tell me why it was put up in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's almost the um, precautionary principle. Yeah. If you don't know what what something was erected for, Mm -hmm. then you might tear it down at your own peril. Mm. Yeah, which... Which makes makes a lot of sense. It's, it's interesting because, like you know, the like I kind of am a little bit more liberal in this area as far as like I don't like boundaries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I like to be free and like right. You know, it's like <clears throat> what's possible. You know, it's like, but I think I've learned a little bit more conservatism and not not political, but just in that. Why do you be careful? Because like there are things that are that are sort of in this world that provide sort of guideposts and it's like be careful or be wary as you move forward and and there are limitations and what are those limitations especially as you get older like now i'm 44 i'm like oh yeah i'm not invincible i've just come to that conclusion (laughs) getting the car wrong i might tweak my back in a way that ruins the next month of my life totally exactly exactly but i think they're you're you're just how you talked about kids is such a 
such a valuable lesson that I think you can learn not having kids physically, but it might be a little bit more difficult. Like if you are a business owner and, and maybe with uh, employees and stuff like that, there's a certain responsibility that might be a little bit comparable. Um, although that analogy might be kind of, you know, um, offensive to some people, but it's, I, I can just, but I can, I can see that there'd be ways that you could maybe extrapolate mm. from that scenario to having kids. You know, it's like you're responsible for people and providing a workspace and for it to be healthy and sustainable. And they might not understand all the things that go into it. And it's not necessarily their job to understand those things. because so they're performing for me another, a whole nother, um, uh, service within that, you know, hmm. but as a parent, it's the same way. It's like, you know, I'm giving, you're raising these kids and you're giving them a certain amount of structure around them. And as they grow up, you kind of release more and more of that structure. We've talked about this quite a few times on this podcast. Um, but you are providing a space for them in rituals and, um, uh, disciplines that, are for their benefit that when they're outside of, you know, your, your realm of responsibility that they could thrive, you know, it's like, like, I hope everyone who's worked for me when they leave Medici, that they can be that much better of a person or an employee or open their own business. You know, it's like they'll have grabbed something from this that they can then launch out into the future, which Mm -hmm. is the same, which is very similar anyways to kids, you know, how do you provide a framework that empowers gives people responsibility that then they can go and out into the world and do something that's not under your covering, you know? Yeah. Which like, you know, Medici is a covering that, you know, Alice and I have sort of made. And it's like, when you go outside of that covering, you're going out into somebody else's or making your own, you know? but that seem like kids are such a great metaphor for so many. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think my mind was going towards something I've been thinking about recently, which is the insufficiency of rules as I see it through having children, hmm. which is that <clears throat> almost the moment that you make a rule for your kids, that rule becomes outdated because your kids will outgrow it. You know, whether you take something simple like bedtime, (laughs) you know, it's like as soon as you establish the rule, almost immediately it's wrong. And so you're constantly in the position as a parent of being wrong and outdated. Um, And then, you know, you, your kids get to a certain age where they're wanting responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you'll say to them, you know, when they're little, you'll do things for them like, um, clean, clean your room or sorry, you'll do things for them like clean their room or like wipe their ass for that, you know, (laughs) you know, but then at some point you say to them, well, I, you know, you look, you need to clean your room and I'm not doing it for you or wipe your own ass, wipe your own (laughs) ass. Right. Um, and then at some point your kids will say, stop treating me like a child. You're giving me all these rules like I'm some sort of child without yeah. the ability to take responsibility for myself. And I think, oh, okay. Um, you're right. But also, what's actually true is that I'm giving you rules so that I don't have to treat you like a child. Hmm. It's like the rules are replacing me treating you as a child. Because yeah. when you were a child, I treated you as a child. Mm-hmm. I wiped your ass and I followed you around and cleaned you up and dressed you and all of this. And make sure you don't run into the street. (laughs) Right. But you didn't know all the things that I did. Yeah. And so I started putting rules around it so that you could start doing them for yourself. Hmm. And so, you know, trying to sort of like, it, it reminds me of, um, you know, you think about like a spacecraft reentering earth's orbit Mm -hmm. and it's like, it's got to, <clears throat> sorry, re-entering the atmosphere. It's got to hit the atmosphere at the exact right angle at the exact right speed. Otherwise it will either bounce off hmm. or come in too hot and just burn up too quickly. I think the same thing is kind of 
the same as your <laughs> raising kids out into the world. It's like, yeah. you know, if I just, comp- if I just at some point decide, guess what? No rules. It's like, they're just going to burn the hell up. I would go with bounce out into outer space, but yeah, yeah well that one, <laughs> so, either one, either one yeah. um, you know, whereas if I say, well, Hey, instead of rules, I'm just going to treat you like a child. Mm-hmm. It's like, that would be similarly terrible yeah. for them. Mm-hmm. So how do you get it right? It's like, I don't think that you do. No. And that's maybe one of the horrific revelations of parenting is like, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Always. Always. Yeah. By necessity, Uh somehow, you're going to get it all wrong. Mm -hmm. And like the goal is to get it as less wrong as as wrong (laughs) as you can. Uh Totally. So, and, and if you get it, if you, if you minimize the amount of wrong that you are, mm-hmm. your kids will go be very successful. Yeah. Well, even then, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's even a, a bigger variable than that. It's like, if you can minimize the wrong, it's like the possibility might be higher that your kids are successful, you know, cause even those who are so wrong, you know, like, you know, abusive parents and that kind of stuff that, you know, some of those kids come of that and are very successful in life, you know, it's despite like, their parents, despite their yeah, parents. Right. Yeah. But I think there's something, there is that responsibility. Like you give, you give your kids a better chance mm-hmm. if you can be less wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Or maybe it's just like being, um, self-aware enough to mm-hmm. say, I've been wrong a lot. <laughs> And I'm, I'm going to correct that as I go. I'm going to negotiate both with myself and with you mm-hmm. and with the, the difficulty of, of not knowing when is the right time to stop treating you like a child and start treating you like an adult. Yeah. And that those two things aren't, you know, it's not one or the other. It's not black and white or binary or mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. There's a transition. Yeah that has to take place and you're not going to understand why that transition has to take place. And I'm not going to understand how to execute it. Mm -hmm. But if we're lucky, you'll hit that window at the right angle and the right speed. (laughs) But it's interesting. Like when you were saying that, I was just thinking like with the, with the parent, you almost have to exude a certain amount of confidence. You know, it's like even even though you might be wrong less or more, it's like you still have to make a decision and move forward, mm-hmm. you know, and even stick, stick by some of your less, maybe even more wrong decisions. Like, Nope, I said this and that's what I meant. It's like, well, uh, am I being too hard on them? You know, it's like, no, this time I'm sticking to it. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I'm being a little bit too hard on them this time. You right. know, it seems like there, there is that sort of like, you kind of ebb and flow between those two spaces of no, this is a hard and fast rule and you did not live up to it. You mm-hmm. know, or in the next time it's like, this is a hard and fast rule, but I know it's a little bit rigid and so I'm going to kind of let you slide, you know? Right. And how do you do that? I mean, that's like, that's wisdom. That's discernment. That's, you know, perspective too. You know, if, if you understand and see that, you know, maybe you need to just cut your kids some slack this time. Right. You know? Or you've cut too much slack and you have to kind of, you know, bear down or whatever. Right. I mean, it's kind of the judicial system in that sense too. It's like when we look at, Oh, you're a first time offender. Okay. Well, we'll give you six months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or maybe just time, good behavior, time served two weeks or whatever, you know, like we try to like have that sort of like spirit of the law rather than just like, you know, you still a candy bar, you get 10 years, you know, <laughs> like that was dumb. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, first time pot offender or whatever, you know, or, you know, it's like, well, it's, it's not that bad. Or should we even be, you know, incarcerating people who, uh, sell pot or whatever, you know? Right. And that's a whole other argument, but hmm. yeah, I, I don't know exactly how to go here with this, but I think it's something like, It's like, when do you remove rules as your kids are growing up? Hmm. You remove them when the, 
Because your kid might say, well, I don't need these rules anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might say something like, well, prove that to me. Yeah. And the proving isn't that the rule is never is not needed because it's never broken. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going with this. So, so, you know, for instance, now that I'm in the, so like to compare it with, I have a job mm-hmm. and there's rules at the job. Um, as I've progressed in my career and the job that I'm in right now, like I couldn't tell you what the rules of my job are. Mm. You know, there isn't a time that I'm supposed to show up and there isn't a time that I'm supposed to stay till. And this is, you know, it would be different if, um, well, if I worked a different job because, you know, one of my responsibilities isn't to open the office for example, or to oh, yeah. um, serve customers from the, you know, it's not like we have customers that we serve from hour X to hour Z. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but my point is that I don't know what the rules of my job are. And the rules aren't, in some sense, the rules aren't needed because I don't break them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> the untold rules are, <laughs> you don't break them. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> But I could describe to you very easily a scenario in which my employer would have to establish rules Hmm. because I've broken them. Yeah. You know, so for example, if I started showing up to work every day at 1 p.m., Mm -hmm. you know, at some point that's going to be evidently problematic. And so they're going to have to be like, look, you know, what's the what's the deal here? What's going on? Mm hmm. And I'm like, well, you never gave me a start time. Yeah. And they're like, really? <laughs> we have to do this? Like, we have to explain to you yeah. why we expect you, you know. <laughs> it's like, and they'd probably just fire me. Yeah. They wouldn't even bother with putting a rule in place. Well, it's also like where you are within the responsibility. It's like with, with more responsibility, the rules become a lot more gray. Because it's not really about accomplishing something. But I think, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to get to though, is that as your kids take, start taking more responsibility, the rules become more gray and they don't become more gray because your kids stop breaking them. They come become more gray because your kids start taking more responsibility. Hmm. So it matters less. So you, you might have a rule like bedtime. Yeah. The more responsibility your kids take, the less it matters whether or not they go to sleep on any good night at a certain time. Mm-hmm. Cause what was important wasn't exactly bedtime. Yeah. What was important is do they get up in the morning and go behave functionally in the world? Yeah. You know, it's like at some point, as long as you're accomplishing that, which is sort of like impossible to codify into some rule, mm-hmm. as long as you're doing that, then I don't really care what time you go to bed. Yeah, totally. So, it wasn't that I removed the rule because you just started always going to bed on time. Mm -hmm. I removed the rule because the rule was no longer needed. Mm. But then if you start behaving in a way that breaks the rule that isn't there, then the rule has to be reimposed. Totally. Well, it's like we have these sheets that, uh, you know, uh, things to do when there's nothing to do. That's what we we used to call it. I don't know if it's called that now, (laughs) but at the end of it, it says includes, but, is not exhaustive of what your responsibilities are. So it's like, it's like, these are suggestions, but this is not all that you're responsible for. But you know, this is sort of like the bare minimum. As long as you can accomplish this, then that's good. But that's not really what a a good employee does. It's like, they're aware of the situation, like where the customers are at, what dishes are on the tables, you know, like where everything is, they're kind of aware of the space. So they don't actually need the list but the list is there to kind of help as a sort of a baseline, but the baseline isn't what we're intending. We're actually intending something that's beyond the baseline. And, you know, but we had to kind of like, cause some people are like, well, it wasn't on the list. You don't pay me to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I pay you to take care of the space and the customers. And there's a certain amount of things we can kind of codify 
what that means, mm-hmm. but that's not taking care of the customer or providing a great drink. That's actually more than anything I could ever list. And so I think those are the hard things to communicate. It's, yeah. it's not about the list. It's not about the law. This is like a baseline. The, the rules never get you far enough. Mm-hmm. They, like back to our, our comment about like, well, what, do you, what is the extent of your ability? Mm-hmm. What are you capable of? Mm-hmm. Like you're capable of some divine creativity, cre- divine creativity, mm-hmm. divine action in the world. And you, you won't achieve it <clears throat> as a result of following rules. Totally. <clears throat> you are more than that. And it's so evident too. I mean, especially in, in employees, it's like, you know, there's baristas that you can't, you can't put it in a list what they do. You right. know, and, <clears throat> right. and also managers who manifest things you can't put into it, but it actually brings everybody up. Because they're demonstrating that awareness and that ability, it brings everybody to another level, you mm-hmm. know? And that's not something you can codify, which is really, you know, frustrating. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's like, but it's, it's very noticeable at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, I was in a meeting today at work and somebody said, uh, you know, I was thinking about you guys on the way into work today and it occurred to me that, and then told this story, which was really inspiring. Hmm. And it's like, how could you ever put that into a job description? Yeah, it's like one, one of your responsibilities <laughs> is to think creatively about your coworkers on the way to work uh-huh. and have that be meaningful, uh-huh. you know, in a meeting. Like, but that's the stuff that makes life good. Mm-hmm. It's the stuff that is creative. Yeah. And you don't accomplish it via rules. You don't accomplish it via job descriptions. Or even icebreakers. Icebreakers drive me absolutely fucking nuts. But they I, always work. Well, they work on most people. I just kind of like... I just <laughs> on pretend. most people, you're immune. <laughs> I'm immune. You're stubborn. I tend to be... Uh, yeah, I am actually stubborn. <laughs> uh, but they do work, though. That's the thing. Is like it, it, it draws people out, but it's not about just fulfilling the icebreaker you know, right. obligations. They work to the extent that people are willing to go beyond them. Mm-hmm. In which the generally people are. Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's very, it's like pulling teeth, mm-hmm. but eventually people will get there. Yeah. Tell, tell me two things you like about the person on your right. Like, I like blah, blah, blah. But then you, you go around enough and then, and then you almost feel shameful whenever you hear that next person say something really insightful and, and which will, yeah, nice. totally. And it'll get you thinking like, Oh, no. I didn't do a very good job. No, actually, no, I can, we come back to can me. Yeah, I have better to things me. to say. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it just goes back to that, that idea. I think we're keep kind of circling around. It's like rules are good, but they're not great. You know, they don't get, they don't take you to that. Well, they're necessary, yeah, they're but they're insufficient. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to, great way to put it. Hmm. <laughs> oh man. Hmm. Well, yeah, I don't know if I want to end there. I, I feel like there's like a lot of maybe way we maybe we should, but I don't know. You, you kind of got me more just contemplating right then. So, uh, well, maybe we could just kind of like review and wrap it up a little bit. Okay. I feel like the what I'm kind of getting out of this right now is is. Well, obviously, we talked about like kind of the spirit versus the the law versus the spirit of the law, and you know, it's like we establish these sort of like frameworks, but the frameworks are there for us to then sort of like a a a, a baseline for which we can then jump off into the world. And I think we've we have a lot of those things that have been kind of given to us culturally or religiously or uh, institutionally that have given us some sort of support to kind of jump off from and also to like question and dismantle and improve upon, you know, that's, that's the thing too. I think moving into the future, it's like we need to improve on what we've been given to because we are imperfect and we also kind of have imperfect cultures and institutions and religious activities that need to be, reevaluated and improved on, but there's also an essence to them that 
we need to be careful that we don't um, that we don't lose you know mm-hmm. and that that's there for a reason the the whole you know fence in the field yeah thing that we talked about earlier you know I think you and I we talked a lot about some things before this and it's like there's a lot of things that we've been that have been passed on to us and it's like we need to be really careful about how we move into the future and that we need things to unify us and unite us. We have to have those things, hmm. you know, whether it be God, a constitution, a flag, something has to, we can't deconstruct everything because we know where that goes. If you deconstruct everything and we don't share anything in common, even the ability to agree to disagree, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. right now with the whole Roe v. Wade thing, it's like, it's very black and white where it's a lot more complex. Yeah. And at some point we have to have places where we can agree to disagree mm-hmm. and we might be on the losing side of whatever that thing is we thought, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, <clears throat> it's like part of it just seems so impossible. And I think what you need is, humility and forgiveness Hmm. in order to move forward because well in the same way that the as a parent the moment you create a rule it's almost immediately outdated and insufficient and Hmm. um in some way like inappropriate Uh you know the same is true of our institutions and our structures of society but that the response to that should not be well, get rid of them then. Mm-hmm. Just like your response as a parent should be, should not be when you realize that your rule is outdated and inappropriate, should not be, well, no more rules then. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be good for your child. Yeah, I keep screwing that up, so it's just not Yeah, so it's just none. Yeah. Um, you know, because in a sense, you don't know, well, your child doesn't know what your rules are protecting them from. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what the institutions and the structures of our society are protecting us from. Mm -hmm. And even the fact that we have our entire lives lived in a society in which disagreements can be had and argued about with words, you know, at least for the last, what, 160 years years yeah um 158 with a few skirmishes here and there but yeah well yeah yeah but we resolve our conflicts with words Mm -hmm. the alternative to that is to resolve conflicts with violence yeah and that's a lot worse Mm mm-hmm so if that means that we have to tolerate some outdated laws or sorry, some outdated rules, some outdated structures and work on updating them rather than getting rid of them so that we don't return to violence as conflict resolution, mm-hmm. I think that would be a much better way forward. But that takes humility and it takes yeah. forgiveness. Like not only forgiveness towards the people that we disagree with, but also forgiveness towards the people who came before us who afforded us so much, but also didn't get it right. Mm -hmm. Partly because it's impossible to get it right because the the world is transforming right in front of our eyes. There's no way to get it right, Mm -hmm. but there is a way to improve it. And so humility and gratitude I think are the only way is the only way to resolve that eternal problem of, of sort of always being wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me think of time horizons too. It's like, mm-hmm. if you want something to change tomorrow, it's like, uh, you need to maybe change your time horizon. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, it takes, it takes time to, for people to change and to grow. And right. Yeah. I think that's good. Leave else? it there. Yeah. All so. right. Cool. Oh, well, thanks, guys. The shores have been had. True that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see y'all. Cheers. Cheers.